we just like weren't like getting a lot of traction with it. So we like kind of went back to our customer discovery because we had talked at so many venues and we started talking to more artists as well to learn, you know, their experience. And we realized we just kept hearing booking sucks. I hate booking. Booking takes so much time. Uh, booking something always goes wrong. <laughs> and we were like, huh, maybe there's something here. And so then we did more interviews. And that is kind of where we refer to it as Cadenzo 2.0 uh, was born. This is Seeking Startups, a show that gives you an inside look into the minds of ambitious people who are trying to change the world. Learn about what they're building, their personal stories, and invest in the founders you believe in. Now with equity crowdfunding, anyone can invest in early stage private startups. If you're searching for entertaining, educational, and inspirational content about startup investing, this show is for you. I'm your host, Maxim Davis, and today on Seeking Startups, we have Mark Lamonk, the co-founder of Cadenzo. At the young age of seven, Mark knew he wanted to become a musician, and specifically a piano player. Even though his parents were skeptical, they provided him with support and the resources that he needed. Before long, Mark was occupied in the music world, and in middle school, Mark was doing gigs and performing in bands. And in by high school, he was the lead in the school's musical. At this point, Mark really thought he had found his calling. But Mark's openness and drive eventually led him down a different path, a path where entrepreneurship was at the core. Finally, these two worlds collided when Mark, alongside his co-founders, Andreas and Troy, started Cadenzo, a platform that helps musicians and venues streamline the booking process. Listen to this fascinating talk about Mark's journey and his plan to bring entertainment booking out of the dark ages. Before we get started, I just want to thank all of my fellow podcast subscribers. Thank you for returning week after week, listening to the show. I really appreciate all of your support. If you would like to help grow this podcast, please feel free to leave a rating and a review and share the show with your family and friends. Hey, I would like to quickly say that everything you hear in this podcast is only for informational and entertainment purposes. This is not financial advice and I'm not endorsing this company. Please do proper due diligence before investing in any startup. Okay, now let's get started. I'd like to start by just really understanding Cadenzo. So what is it all about and why are you building um, this company? Cadenzo is um, an all-in-one booking tool that helps local music venues and local artists streamline their booking so they can take back their time, book better shows faster, and worry less about the hassles of booking their shows um, and making sure that they get paid, um, and more time um, being artists or marketing their shows and getting more people in the door, buying drinks, buying merch. Um, so we're trying to be the go-to tool that helps local music economies um, thrive and bounce back after COVID. For people that aren't very familiar, well, like how does the process currently work? And you know, what are you doing that you know solves maybe a problem in the market? Uh, the way that this the shows are getting booked right now is, um, especially at local venues, it's artists are and and their managers are, are reaching out to local venues. And they're doing that via Instagram. They're doing that via email, phone call, text messages. Um, and local venues are inundated with these requests on multiple different modes of communication um, that all have all different like sorts of expectations. Mm -hmm. um, and it's back and forth trying to decide the date. And then once they decide a date, then it's back and forth deciding how much is this, like the artist going to get paid. And then it's back and forth getting the W-9s and sending back and forth the marketing materials um, and so because of that, it, it becomes a huge logistical toll and hassle. So 
um, a venue like Mercury Lounge in Tulsa, 80% of their general manager's time is spent on just booking alone um, on top of all of the other um, components that they're doing of like running this, um, this venue and bar um, and all of the other things. So that's how it currently is working. Um, and then if venues are trying to fill certain slots, they're reaching out to artists via Instagram, via uh, text messages, emails, and phone calls. So we built a solution that just sits right in the middle of that and allows all of the communications to be in one spot. So that way venues and artists know where everything is and that they're not leaving something behind. Um, and it gives a tool that will automate the things in this process that should be automated, like sending a W9 or sending back and forth marketing materials um, or sending reminders about shows, things like that. I see. How does the um, platform work for for both sides, the, 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 the artist and then the venue? Yeah, so it is a web app right now that's mobile friendly. Um, so hopefully down the road, we can, um, move it into a mobile application as well. Um, and the way it works is that venues and artists can both create, um, their own profiles loaded up with their information, with their pictures, with their bio, um, with their show histories. Artists can add links to their Spotify, to their YouTube, to their SoundCloud, whatever it may be. Um, and the... The user experience is similar to booking a stay at an Airbnb. You go to your discovery page, you search the venue that you want and what city. Um, there's a map that pops up with the venues in the city. Um, and you can see how much they pay per show. You can see, you can filter by genre that um, venues have. You can click on their profile, read more about them, see their pictures, and you'll see their availability calendar. Select the date that you want to book and request to book. Gotcha. Um, and it's really similar um, on the venue searching for artist side as well. So it's almost kind of like a marketplace where you're connecting to two people. Is that, is that right? Yeah, hundred percent two-sided marketplace. Um, I will say we are, we are taking this to venues as a booking logistics tool first. Um, and then, um, kind of on the back end, working on the marketplace side of it to then show like how using the marketplace as like a, a stickiness effect for the venues. Interesting. Um, and then how about that business model? So, um, how do you plan on, you know, making money for sure? So kind of, Wrapping to what I just talked about with the selling this as a, as a SaaS tool to local venues. So um, we're still testing kind of like our hypothesis on on what the best business model is going to be for this. But what we think is that it's going to be charging local music venues um, a monthly SaaS subscription um, between $50 to $200 a month, depending on how many shows they're booking a month. So that way they see this as a tool that saves them time. Mm -hmm. So that way they can actually book better shows and book better shows faster. Um, and then on the artist side, charging a small booking fee transaction per show. So um, between five to 10% transaction fee per show. Okay. And then you currently have a wait list, right? On the venue side and the artist side. Um, but what is your distribution model? How do you plan on, you know, scaling? This is a great question. Um, and what we're spending a lot of time thinking about right now. Um, but what we think makes the most sense is starting like here in Tulsa, which is um, a great like kind of mid-tier size city that has the the pain points um, in the music industry here that other markets have, um, but it's also small enough that allows us to like really prove the model works um, kind of under the radar, prove that it works here in Tulsa and then expand out um, from there. Um, because by doing that, we can create more traction and more um, stickiness for the artists because now artists, if we expand Oklahoma City, artists can say, oh, I've never been able to book shows in Oklahoma City before. Now I can. Or now I can book shows in Kansas City or now I can book shows in Dallas. Um, so then we like really like 
hold the artists on the platform by expanding out um, kind of geographically from Tulsa. And then that allows them to to easily build tour routes um, and it allows them to like hook into venues with with tour routes um, as well. Um, and kind of more like on a granular level, um, what we think makes the most sense is like when we enter a local market, starting with um, the venues that are just inundated with bookings um, that are getting requests all the time and say like, hey, here's a tool that can save you tons of time. Um, get them on board and get them using it. And then we can go to other venues in town and say, hey, this venue is using us and and be able to show them kind of the ROI from that venue um, and use them as justification to sell into other venues. You're currently, you said kind of an hypothesis stage where you're trying to figure this out. You're early. Um, but what, what stage are you at right now? Like what have you launched? Uh, what do you plan on launching and, and kind of, you know, where are you right now? Yeah, we um, are currently still in a private beta. So we've just been taking the product to customers, um, having them tinker around on the platform, having them sign in, create accounts. Um, we've been watching them do it, getting their feedback on it. Um, like, does this have the features that you need? Really, the question we've been trying to answer is, like, why won't you use this? Um, and we take that that piece of data and information they're giving us, and we've been iterating on the feature set of the platform. And we're coming up um, here in the next couple of weeks on basically being finished with with what um, we've consistently heard of, of the features that artists and venues need for this to be like their go-to booking tool. And then we're going to like do some, some pilot launches here um, in Tulsa um, coming up in the next month. Interesting. I'm curious. So um, can you share a little bit insight about that customer experience? What are customers saying? And maybe what, what is something that's surprising that you got out of this whole experience? Yeah. So what's interesting is I thought like the, the artists would be like the harder component to, to get excited about the platform. Mm-hmm. The, art, the artist is easy. If you go to an artist and say, hey, here's a tool that can you can book your shows up and uh, play in other cities that you don't normally play in. Like the artist's feedback is, is like really excited um, because they hate uh, like sending out emails and following up and um and all of that um and i thought because there's so many artists that it would be harder to get artists on the platform um but it's actually like the venues because venues have like their certain um ways of doing things um one conversation that was particularly interesting was uh, a venue here in town and like honestly is a perfect use case for the platform and he was kind of like well i keep all of my like contracts for concerts uh and and live music like on my phone notes and then i just text it to the artist and then they text it back to me and and then um i make sure they get paid like a week after uh we do the booking and um and he was like and i feel like this process is good and i don't know why i would change it um and so What's interesting has been like, okay, this problem exists. Now we just need to prove that it works um, outside of this venue and then go back to him and be like, we saved, you know, X venue 20 hours a week. Would you like 20 hours a week as well? (laughs) Um, And bring you just like more legitimacy to the process. Like, um, you know, especially post-COVID artists um, and live music in general, especially the local space are becoming increasingly more um, business oriented. Um, because they've had to um, over the past um, couple of years through the pandemic. Pre-COVID W9s for playing live music was not necessarily like a, an industry standard, and now it is. Can you explain that? What is a W9? So just as an independent contractor, 
um, like getting paid um, not under the table, basically. I see. So before COVID, it was just very common. You know, you get paid the 300 bucks from the bar, like the cash register. I see. Um, and now like that process is becoming like a lot more legit um, because, you know, venues are getting funds from, you know, either the federal government or the state government or local governments for grants to, to book live shows. Um, so, you know, they have to actually keep track of things like that. Um, and artists also, um, like they're getting, re- they were getting relief as well. So they, um, have been trained to, to do the W9 component as well, which has been good for us and also made us realize we need to handle payment through the platform as well. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about any metrics that, um, excite you or that you think are interesting um, that could be anything like, what do you think your customer acquisition cost might be? Or what do you think your lifetime you know, value of these venues might be? Yeah. In terms of like customer acquisition costs and LTV, like we're, we're still like a little early on to like have some like more concrete numbers on, on um, what that's going to look like. Um, but we know that like our atomic unit is shows. So like that's what we're going to be measuring is like, with these venues, we want to be making sure that 80% of their slots um, at minimum are getting booked whenever they're putting them on Cadenzo because that makes us sticky and that makes venues want to use us more and that makes artists want to use us more. So that is like the like the main area of focus when we go into these pilots is um, making sure that if, if a venue only has 10 slots over two months, like making sure that eight of them are getting booked. I see. Do you know maybe roughly like out of the pilot customers or the people that you've reached out to, how many do you think have decided to to try it or are interested in your product? So we have around 75 venues. Basically, mostly all of them are in Oklahoma. Um, they've given us their their contact information and said, when you have the product ready, we want to see it because we're interested. Okay. Um, so that's kind of like our number within um, within Oklahoma. And we're going to do kind of like a tranche to launch. We're going to do like four venues in Tulsa. And um, our goal is to just delight the heck out of them. Like we're going to send a photographer in there to take pictures of their venue to make sure that their profile is beautiful. We're going to help them enter in any like data that they need to enter in. Um, of like the current shows that they've already booked that need to be on their booking calendar, things like that. Um, just like really handhold them through the process. And then also sell to them is like you are like the first people the early innovators um uh, on this and so starting with like those four venues making sure their experience is incredible um and then kind of doing another bigger tranche of like 10 to 15 venues doing a similar process with them and then kind of opening the floodgates after that that's great i I appreciate the top uh view and then going into the details because i think that gives you a really good insight of what cadenzo is doing um, but let's now go into your background. Let's get to know more about you and uh, understand um, why are you starting this company. And I think once you do look at your background, it makes a lot of sense. You grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but you were also very interested in music um, from a very young age. Can you talk about your childhood and how you um, got into music? Yeah, and I, I have so like so many like so many things to say on this, but like music is like always been core to who I am, and like if I've looked back on my life, um, every area of success, triumph, um, happiness, like music has always been intertwined in that. So when I was seven, I started taking piano lessons um, because there was a friend of mine in class that started taking piano lessons, and I was jealous, and I wanted <laughs> to take piano lessons, so I asked my mom if. 
uh, I could take piano lessons. And my mom was like, uh, sure, but we don't have a piano. Um, so like one of my favorite stories is my mom took me to this music teacher and was like, okay, he wants to take piano. We want to encourage this, but we don't have a piano and we're not going to buy a piano until we know that this is like a legit thing (laughs) that he's serious about. Yeah. And, um, the piano teacher was like, okay, um, let's figure this out. So she literally like printed out like a paper keyboard and like that was what I practiced on for literally the first six months of taking piano lessons. Wow. Um, just like in the kitchen, I would type like <laughs> look like I'm typing on like this paper keyboard, um, which I still have to this day. Um, and after six months, my parents bought me a $25 uh, Walmart keyboard and I tinkered around on that for a while. Um, and then after like a little over a year, my parents bought um, bought a used piano and then the rest was kind of history from there. Um, you know, played piano until like, you know, us, us sitting here today, but where I really got even more into music was, um, you know, in middle school, I started to sing, um, Mm. and then that opened up uh, a lot more doors. So started playing in bands and then we were starting to play like little festivals in Tulsa and coffee shops and birthday gigs and, and things like that. Um, and the rest kind of fell into place from there. You know, I don't blame your parents. I mean, when I think of a seven-year-old, like they want to, you know, be an astronaut. They want to do this and do that. And, and you know, being that dedicated to something is really interesting to me. So um, why? I mean, six months doing this, I, most kids would have been bored by that point. You know, what, what what clicked? I don't know. It's hard to say. I feel like it was just like, it's like one of those scenarios that like it was meant to be. Um, the craziest part is like, in my family, like no one is musically inclined, really. Interesting. Yeah. Like even in my extended family, I can think of like maybe one person that's like, um, like into music. Um, I think when you hear about like musicians, a lot of times like my parents were musicians and, yeah. and it's like a generational like, like talent that gets passed along. Um, but that was like not really the case at all um, with me. And my, my parents were like, they wanted me to play hockey or whatever, mm. or soccer. I was like, let's play the piano. Um, and, and that's kind of what happened. I, I just started playing and, and, and fell in love with it. And it's, it's always been and like grown into this like emotional input and output for me. When we come back, you'll get to hear how Mark's parents encouraged him to become a leader. But before that, here's how you can personally invest in Cadenzo. Cadenzo is currently raising up to $212,000 at a $4.5 million valuation cap on WeFunder. The current minimum investment amount is $100 per investor. Funding is currently open, but is scheduled to close on April 30th, 2023. But if they hit their maximum funding limit before then, you'll be directed to their waitlist. If you're interested in getting more information, check the show notes below where you can find a link to their funding page. Let's talk about your childhood and your parents. So your mom was a a realtor, your dad was a recruiter. What impact do you think they had, you know, besides helping you get into music, right? What impact do you think they had in um, your interests and in who you are, I guess, today? Yeah. Um, I feel like my parents were like really, like really impactful in terms of setting me up for success. Um, and as well as my brother, like um, their, their mantra was like, and, and I was actually just talking to my mom about this yesterday, like their mantra growing up was like, be a leader, don't be a follower. Um, and 
like they grew up in small town New York um, and like just happened to to get out. Um, they both grew up pretty poor mm. um, and, and happened to get out because my dad had a high school teacher that told him he could go to college and, and like make something of himself. And my parents have been together since they were 16. Wow. And they, they made it out of New York and uh, got, uh, you know, their education. Um, so for us growing up, it was always like be be a leader and 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 do like what makes you happy and like those things can coincide and and you can um can ultimately make a make a living doing what you love or what you're passionate about that's a great uh, mantra thanks for sharing that so you said you started um getting into music when you're young and then eventually you got into uh singing um can you talk about those years between middle school and high school what kind of um music uh things were you doing what kind of bands were you part of and just that experience yeah they're definitely like formative years when i look back on pictures it's uh it's it's brutal for sure the things <laughs> we wore in 2010 and 11 uh but definitely like a really formative time i like i hated middle school like when i look back i think it's like my least favorite time in my life um but like music was like the one thing that like i loved in middle school um, and playing, we played in this band called The Holdups, and we used to play um, shows around Tulsa all the time. And actually, like, what got me into singing, uh, like, I always knew I could sing, but I never did because I was too, like, afraid to. Um, and growing up, like, I was always the kid that, like, got made fun of um, or got called names because I was, like, into music at this private Catholic school and not the kid that was into, you know, sports. Um that was like, you know, a, a big piece of like middle school for me. But what's interesting is we were playing a gig one time and the day of the gig, the lead singer got laryngitis and could not sing. And we couldn't not do that. It was a, it was a paid gig. And so we were like, so we, we just got to make it work. And I was like, I'll do it. I'll sing. And I did. And it was, it went over well. And, and the rest was history from there. I was like, well, now, now that I've done it, <laughs> now you can't stop me. It's a great story. So middle school and then eventually you get into high school, um, you're still doing this music thing. And then you're also interested in history, right? Um, why history? And what made you so interested? I have like really niche things that like I am obsessed with and I have always been obsessed with. Um, and I feel like in my life, those are like three categories. And one is music. Two is like food and cooking and wine. And three is history. Okay. Um, and I've like kind of picked them up and discovered them along um, the way. Yeah. History was always fascinating to me. And I think it kind of always like I was always really involved in um, like leader leadership and student council and student government um, and things like that. And I think I loved history because it like played into that piece. It was like when you think about history, you're really just learning a lot about like the world's previous leaders and what they did right and what they did wrong and the implications of it. Sure. Um, and so I think I was fascinated with the how and why certain leaders were doing things and, and what happened because of it. And I was trying to draw comparisons in my life of, of like, okay, as a leader or someone that wants to be a leader, how do I basically learn lessons from these people that have come before? Um, so always always have been interested in history i used to come home and like watch the history channel documentaries for fun like that was a fun activity for me and then in terms of uh high school um 
you sound like you were quite an outstanding student. Um, why, why did you love school so much? Yeah. Um, I uh, like the, the high school that I went to, like, uh, it was like, I feel like perfectly built for like the kind of student that I was and what I wanted to do. Um, I was always like really interested in not just being like, um, like learning in the classroom. I was also really interested in like learning by doing, by being involved. So like in, in high school, I got to take all of these like really interesting classes because um, we had a block schedule. So we had like four classes and they would change every quarter. So because of that, you end up getting to take a lot more classes. So when I was in high school, I got to take like a ceramics class and I got to take a guitar class and I got to take an acting class, a few acting classes. And I got to take, um, you know, speech classes. So I got to like get this honestly, like really, really well-rounded education. Um, and at the same time, I have all of these things that I could do extracurricularly. So student leadership and student government. Um, and then like was into the musicals and the choirs in high school was kind of like where music transitioned for me from like playing like gigs and, and singing and playing the piano by myself to like, okay, now I'm singing in choirs and now I'm like um, in these musicals. Um, and so my, my musical education took a more of a classical turn um, in high school which was really empowering. And so, and I also had a job in high school as well. So like I was literally never home. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I just remember like my mom would be like on the weekends, she'd be like, are you here <laughs> this weekend or are you like off doing things or, or whatever? So um, like uh, people talk about high school, not loving high school. Um, but like, that was not the case for me. Um, like my senior year of high school and junior year of high school, were, like the two best years um, up until, you know, college. That's a perfect transition. Let's talk about your college experience. So you went to University of Oklahoma. So talk about your time there. What, what did you study? Um, and, and also, can you talk about how you were um, approaching music at that time too? So I'm going to like back up like a few months before college uh, to kind of le le lead into that. So my senior year of high school, I was, um, like I mentioned, I was in student leadership. I was actually the the state president for all student councils in the state of Oklahoma. So I like ran this, like one of these like massive state conventions. There was a, like a $250,000 budget for this that I helped plan. Wow. And, um, you know, 3000 people, like student leaders that came to this conference. Um, so I like my senior year was like really into like student leadership and also was like the lead in the musical uh, at the same time. And so I had like last semester of, of high school, this decision, it was like, am I going to go to the University of Oklahoma and be a member of the president's leadership class? Or am I going to go to Belmont and am I going to study music business? Yeah. And ultimately I decided to go to OU um, and was in the president's leadership class, which was a really formative experience. Um, when I was going through the recruitment process for college, I like met with um, the dean of the business school at OU and I was like, I think I want to do business, but I don't know what. And I was like, accounting, finance, that sounds like terribly boring to me. And like, I will not enjoy my time here. And he was like, I think you need to look into entrepreneurship, um, which was a major at OU. And I was like, oh, that sounds cool. My dad's always talked about how like owning your own business is like how you can you know, really create wealth um, and create change and, and build the life that you want. And so I was like, yeah, sure. So I, I freshman year declared entrepreneurship as my major, totally serendipitously because I thought that it sounded way more fun 
than the other business majors. And what's funny about that is come like junior, senior year, when I'm starting to take upper division classes at OU for entrepreneurship, I like got bit by the bug. I fell in love with this idea of, of startups um, and startup communities and how like tech is the great equalizer and how, you know, if you want to build and uplift communities or you want to create change and you want to do it fast, like creating a company is like the best way to do it. Um, I, I never even applied for like corporate really jobs because I, I just was so enthralled by this idea of working like in startup ecosystems because I wanted to use like the full entirety of my skill set that I had been working like so hard on even since I was like a freshman in high school um, that I didn't want to just like go and do an entry level job and be using like this tiny fraction of my skill set that I knew I had and already been refining. But um, I was an entrepreneurship major and in one of the, the few people I think who declare a major, don't change their major and then actually use their major when they graduate. <laughs> Let's talk more about your, your college experience because it, it sounds like it was hugely impactful. You, you majored in entrepreneurship. Are you still pursuing music a, a, at all? Yeah. So this is like the, the big piece in the story. So my freshman year um, was a really formative year because I was in extremely involved, like the most involved I had ever been was sleeping like four hours a night. And by December, my freshman year was like, I was like, okay, I have really great grades and I'm really involved and have lots of friends, but also I'm a zombie of my former self because like, I am just like not taking care of myself. And so I did a better job the next semester kind of cutting back, but still felt, um, still felt like I was missing something, felt empty and I couldn't figure out what it was. And one day I remember it was like a beautiful like spring day um, my freshman year. And I was like walking around campus and I was like, I think I miss music. Mm. And I was like, I think this is like the piece that like is is like what's making me feel empty because I had gone almost my whole life that I actually remember like music being so core to, to who I am. And then all of a sudden basically went cold turkey and um, am just basically singing in the shower so I was like, I need to do music. And so I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to declare a music minor. And so I got on like the website that day and applied um, to do the music minor. And I had to audition and the whole nine yards. Um, and within like three weeks of that day, I was like in the music school um, and enrolling in classes. So from then on out, the rest of my college experience like was so heavily um involved with music, even as a minor, because in like creative colleges and schools, like you have to take so many more classes and your credit hours are like one credit hour and you still need the normal credit hours. So like the music minor was what, 30 credit hours, but most of the classes were one credit hour. So I took a lot of music classes. Oh, I see. And most of them were at 8am, but we put up with it. <laughs> and did that, you know, fix that whatever, you know, you were missing, did, did, did it solve what you were looking for? Yeah. I mean, it was like, it was like almost instantaneous. Like I remember the first day, like in this music class and like most of my background was like, not like a super classical music. Um, like I was very ear trained. Um, and you know, like I, I could, I could read like sheet music. Okay. But I was not any sort of like phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Um, but I remember I was so excited when I left that class. Um, and I learned so much in, in these courses. Um, 
And like the, that, the, the music building like became like my escape building at OU. Uh, like when I was like frustrated with like my finance courses and, and the, the business school or frustrated with like, um, you know, the stress of whatever I was like doing on campus, like the music school, the practice rooms, you know, the choirs that we were in, the performances we would do, like it became my escape. And like, it really was two different worlds that I was living in because I was living in this like world of involvement on campus and, um, you know, in, in the business school. And then I was like doing this music thing and like the world's like rarely ever connected or collided. And it was, it was kind of bizarre, but, um, I was really grateful for it. Hey, I just wanted to share an update about the Seeking Startups Roadmap. Phase one was to create more transparency in the equity crowdfunding market by providing you with exclusive founder interviews. With phase one moving at full speed, I'd like to announce phase two, the Seeking Startups community, a community built by the crowd for the crowd, a place where you can learn, share due diligence, and connect with other equity crowdfunding investors. I would love for you to be a part of this exciting new group, so I welcome you to join today. Click the link in the description below to get started, and I'll see you there. Eventually, the two worlds do come, you know, colliding together, entrepreneurship and music. But before that, you had some internships. Um, you worked at STI Technologies for a little bit. And then you also were a sales intern at uh, E&J Gallo Winery. Um, talk about those experiences. What did you learn and um, what was it like? STI was in Tulsa and it was a, like a lot more corporate. Um, and I had a great time and I loved the team, but I learned that like the actual industry and line of work that I'm in um, is really, I, I realized it was really important for me. Um, so the next summer going into it, I was like, I want to do an internship. And this was like, like after I'd mentioned, I had like fallen in love with entrepreneurship. Right. But was still figuring out like, okay, I'm in Oklahoma. Like, how do I get into like tech slash entrepreneurship um, in this state? Um and so I was like, I'm just going to get an internship that I can get like a good set of skills um, and also have fun while I'm doing it. Um, and so I remember like this was like the only internship that I like actually ever applied for. And I didn't even really apply for it because it was a job fair. And um, I like walked up to this booth because I had looked at this list beforehand and it was like winery. And I was like, I like wine. <laughs> and it was like. $22 an hour plus like a, you know, $1,000 sign-on bonus. And I was like, I've been a tour guide at OU making $10 an hour. Like, this is like, this is big boy money. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, that sounds fun. So I like walked up to their booth um, and like hit it off with their recruiter and then learned that like their recruiter and I had been involved in multiple of the same organizations at OU um, that were like both really formative for us. And um, basically I left the, the job fair and I got in my car and when I like pulled up my phone, to like plug in my phone to play music on the way home, like she had texted me and said like, Hey, we technically filled up our spots for the summer, but like, we want to add another spot for you. Um, if you're in and I was like, heck yeah, I'm in. So I went to Dallas for the summer for eight weeks and it was so awesome. <laughs> like I will never forget. Like there was one day it was like, it was a really great internship and I learned a lot and they like had like really entrepreneurial type um, projects sure. um, that we got to work on. Like I was working on a, a high noon um, hard seltzer, like right after it had launched. And this was right when White Claw and like hard seltzers were like kind of taking off. 
my project was, okay, how do they basically compete with, with White Claw? And a, a funny story about that, they were like considering like, should we get rid of the hard seltzer versus spiked seltzer? Because back then it was like, they were seeing all different sorts of things. And I remember my, one of my conclusions in my final presentation was like, whatever you do, you need to stick to hard seltzer because this is where the industry's headed and everyone's going to refer to these as hard seltzer. Spike seltzer sounds dumb. <laughs> and, um, and now you look up and everything is a hard seltzer. And so I felt very in tune with what was going on in the world whenever I was doing that. But this internship was great because I got so much like sales experience. Um, and it was very like front lines sales experience, which has come really in handy with what I do now. But also like 50% of this internship was like, you can't sell what you don't know. <laughs> so we're going to teach you about wine. Yeah. So 50% of this internship was like these like elaborate wine tastings. Interesting. So it would be like, we're going to walk you through our like luxury portfolio today. So it would be like 8.30 in the morning. I'm drinking like a glass of a hundred dollar bottle of wine. And I just remember sitting there swirling my glass. And I was like, there are people working for ExxonMobil right now looking at his spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it was, a, it was a great experience. Um, I loved the company. Um, and made, um, you know, there's a, a guy named Brooks that I'm, I'm still friends with to this day. Getting paid to drink wine. It's not, not bad, is it? <laughs> not bad. And it like started off my kind of like, uh, I've always been into like cooking and food and, and stuff. And it like now added to that component with wine. That's really neat. You also were involved in, in creating a tech incubator. Is that right? Yeah. So I had graduated um, and was working for... 36 Degrees North in Tulsa, which is an entrepreneurial support organization. So I graduated in May of 2020, which was very fun and um, very COVID. So um, it was it was a tough job market, like in, in May of 2020, like there were not many jobs. Everyone was really scared um, and no one really knew it was happening. So I was just kind of like, well, what should I do? Um, and I uh, moved back to Tulsa because there were all of these like crazy cool tech entrepreneurial ecosystem things going on in Tulsa. And I was like, well, I'll just try and get my foot in the door there and we'll see what happens. Um, and I did three months working for a, a local ed tech startup um, that's now called Boot Up. Then I did this fellowship at 36 Degrees North, which is an entrepreneurial support organization in town. Um, and when I came on board, they were opening, they were wanting to open this tech incubator for high growth, high tech companies. That was awesome for me because I had just like learned about all of these things in school and was like using this knowledge set every day. But 36 is a nonprofit. And actually most of the people that like work at and for 36, um, like didn't really have entrepreneurial experience. So I was like six months out of college, 22 and getting to make like really cool decisions and give like really great insight and input um, at like high levels because I had this like really specific knowledge set. Um, and so I remember like eight months graduated from college and I was like creating the sales pipeline of like filling this incubator at the capacity they needed to like break even whenever they opened it. Mm -hmm. um, so I was reaching out to tech entrepreneurs and I was like screening them to see if they were a good fit. Um, and reading applications um, and things like that. So it was an amazing experience. Um, and at the same time, we was meeting all these amazing people in, in the Tulsa ecosystem as well. Let's move into Cadenzo. How did it come, come to be? How did you start the company? So long story short, 
when I was working for E&J Gallo Winery in um, Dallas, that first paycheck hit and I was feeling very rich. So I was, I said, I'm going to go and buy some concert tickets because I haven't been to a concert in forever because concert tickets are expensive and I've been a broke college student. Right. And I got like unbelievably frustrated with the process of buying concert tickets and like the resale market and the resale value and markups, this, that, and the other. And I was like, this experience sucks and there has to be a better solution. Yeah. And like, why is the industry this way? So by doing that, it just became like a research rabbit hole for me. I was like, we got to find the root cause of like this problem and just learn more about this industry. So for like six to eight months, was just like learning more and more about um, this problem in the industry. Um, looped um, my friend Andreas um, in on this as he's really into like the details and weeds and research, whereas like I'm kind of head in the clouds. Um, big ideas and yeah so we were just kind of working on it together trying to figure out like what like how could how could we solve this problem so um cadenzo 1.0 as we like to refer to it was like a blockchain enabled ticketing solution that would help small venues capture the secondary market value and and give some to the artists as well so we worked on that from january of 2020 and we met troy at this random VC event that we were not invited to that we just showed up to and he was the brilliant guy in the front row asking all these questions and we pulled him aside and afterwards we pitched him our idea and we were like what do you think is this possible and he, he goes I had no idea give me the weekend and let's meet on Monday so we met on Monday and we met in this really crummy restaurant in the student union at OU and like shook hands that day and have been working together since January of 2020 um, and we worked on that initial concept um, throughout 2020 and into part of 2021, but struggled to get traction with it because A, the whole world was still shut down. Right. And B, the ticketing space is extremely crowded. The ticketing space is extremely competitive. And um, we just like weren't like getting a lot of traction with it. So we like kind of went back to our customer discovery because we had talked at so many venues and we started talking to more artists as well to learn, you know, their experience. And we realized we just kept hearing booking sucks. I hate booking. Booking takes so much time. Uh, booking something always goes wrong. <laughs> and we were like, huh, maybe there's something here. And so then we did more interviews. And that is kind of where we refer to it as Cadenzo 2.0 uh, was born. When was that moment that you decided to go from 1.0 to 2.0? July of 2021. And then what was the game plan then? So what ended up being rather um, brilliant and wonderful was I had been working at 36 Degrees North, meeting all these people in the entrepreneurial ecosystem and had met um, the founder and CEO of Act House. And they came to Tulsa and were putting on an accelerator with I2E. And had built a relationship with him and he was like, you should consider applying. So applied for this accelerator and we were accepted into the accelerator in July of 2021. The same time we decided to pivot. Um, that was a $70,000 capital injection into Cadenzo, which was like significant. Yeah. And it was six months of founder training. So that was like kind of the spark that like made us like really start to like take off and, and get to see more traction. And so... I was like still working full time at 36 degrees north and then doing this accelerator on the side. And so basically the first three months of that accelerator were like, okay, we still don't know enough about this to build a product around it. So what we're going to do is Andreas and I are going to 
pretend to be undercover booking agents <laughs> and we're just going to like message tons of artists and venues and say, hey, we'll book shows for you just to learn the user experience and feel the problems yeah. and pain points for ourselves. And then just like feed that information to Troy so we can like we can cook up um, a piece of software that can solve this problem. And so that's what we did. Like I was I was DMing like hundreds of artists on Instagram a day um, and, and Andreas was calling hundreds of venues a day and we booked like, you know, 25 shows in the first couple of months and really like learned what it was like to book shows. Meanwhile, Troy is like building it all out. And in October of 2021, I jumped full time um, on Cadenzo because it was like there was too much work to do on Cadenzo and not enough hours in the day because I was still working at 36. So um, made the jump to Cadenzo full time in 2020, which was also the same month in which I got married. Wow. Some big life events all at once. That's yeah, that's a lot. But I mean, from everything you said up to this point, it sounds like you love just immersing yourself into as much as possible. And I'm curious, um, why, why do you think you're like that? Why do you, you know, jump into something and you might not even know what's going to happen, but you just, you just do it? I don't know. And I, I think about this a lot. Um, like you hear the word a lot and like in, in our space, it's like risk tolerance and that entrepreneurs have high risk tolerance. I've never considered myself someone that has like a high risk tolerance. Like I'm not going to be jumping out of an airplane. The first time I went to the Grand Canyon, I stood like 30 feet away from the <laughs> edge because I like hate heights. Um, so for me, it's like less about risk tolerance and more about um, vulnerability. Like I'm, I'm really willing to make myself vulnerable and I'm, I'm willing to go through the pain of like whatever that means will follow um, in order for a deeper relationship or, you know, a bigger success or, um, a cooler idea, you know, whatever it, whatever it is. Um, and I think it was like really formed, like, you know, in high school and, and even being involved in music, like yeah. I've always been a highly emotional individual because that's really what music is, is it's inputs and outputs of emotion. And, because of that, I have always been like the sensitive guy or the emotional guy. Um, and so I think that like primed me to be able to make decisions that would, would be vulnerable. And some people might call risky, but I just see as like a, an opportunity for growth. It's interesting how you tied back being an artist and how, and how that uh, relates to entrepreneurship. I mean, I think being an artist, you know, you're a form of an entrepreneur, right? You're, you're, you're putting a product out there. And then you're having to sell that to people. Um, and so it's really interesting how that all has come together in your life. Um, let's talk about the team because they're very important to, you know, creating this, this vision, this larger vision. And so you have Andreas uh, Gonzalez, and then you also have Troy Smith. Can you talk about their backgrounds? Can you talk about what they bring to Cadenzo and why you think you guys are like, you know, the perfect team to solve this problem? If there is one thing that like makes me 100% believe that Cadenza will be a success, it is the group of co-founders that we have. Um, like I am so bullish on like our team and our team dynamic um, and and know that I, I will continue to be. So Andreas is like exact opposite of me where I'm like crazy energy eccentric, head in the clouds, big ideas. Andreas is like, okay, here's reality and here's how we can make, you know, rubber meet the road. 
So he's like very in the details and in the weeds of how to make things happen. And Andreas and I actually met in high school um, because I had to get an athletic credit in high school. And so I managed the boys soccer team instead of taking PE. And Andreas played soccer. So I met him that way. We became friends that way. Um, and then he also went to OU um, and we were involved in a lot of the same things at OU. And him and I just kind of became friends that way. And I've always seen him as someone who's like so logical and so analytical and smart and like someone that I know that I need as a counterpart because I am wildly in the sky. So he he is kind of that component of getting into it. Troy is like our most brilliant team member, um, hands down. He like interned with NASA at like 17. Wow. And I like, I'll never get one meeting we had with Troy and he was like, oh yeah, like the Mars Rover. Like, I think I like did some work and wrote some code for like the Mars Rover or whatever that like recently went to space. Uh, Troy is like born and raised in Oklahoma city. We also met him at OU and he was a computer science, um, major at OU, um, but did internships at, um, GitHub and, um, works full-time at HubSpot. So that is like kind of his technical background, but he is kind of, he's the glue in the sense that he makes, he really makes things come to life and happen because he's like the builder behind it. Um, so like where Andres is like the businessy architect, you know, Troy is like the techie and builder. Each one of us has an immensely different like kind of background, upbringing, thought process, viewpoint of the world, um, which makes our meetings like really fascinating um, and our problem solving really fascinating. But it's, I think, been like the strongest point for us as a team member because like we don't have like groupthink <laughs> between the three of us. Like we all have very different opinions and are unafraid to voice them. Hey, I hope you're enjoying the show. But before we hear about Cadenzo's team dynamic, I thought you might be interested in hearing a few stats about the company. So the company is currently headquartered in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mark and his team are ACT Tulsa Accelerator alumni. Cadenzo has raised $102,000 of non-dilutive capital up to this point. And Cadenzo currently has 250 artists and 75 venues on their waitlist. In the most recent year, Cadenzo was operating pre-revenue and had a net loss of $40,917.60. Okay, now let's get back to the episode. I think it's really interesting how you said everyone, you know, brings something unique to the table. And so there is no group think, but that may lead to, you know, some disagreements between, between the team. Can you talk about how you work through those disagreements? Um, maybe even an example of how you came to a conclusion about something. This is a great question. Um, the three of us like have like disagreements, honestly, like quite often. They're not like all out drag out fight disagreements, but they're disagreements on like, like how we think we should solve certain problems or execute certain things. And it really is like, it's just problem solving and all of us being quite frank about what we think the best way to solve the problem is. Um, but I think we have a unique view on like, argument like we use like argument as a tool not as like a you know clash we use it as like a tool to find what the right answer is and so um like we we just did like a strategic retreat uh like planning for q2 and we're problem solving you know 
a certain thing. And actually each one of us had a different opinion on what we should do. And we were all just like really candid. Um, but we, we approached it with like, you know, like I would jump in front of a bus for Troy and Andreas. And I know that they feel the same way about me. So like, there's just like this deep level of trust and empathy between the three of us that, um, even if we are in like a, a debate that's like heated and we're trying to figure out the right solution, like that is second to the trust and empathy that we feel for one another. Okay. I, I, I see the dynamic. It's, it's uh, complicated, but it works is what it sounds like. Right. Yeah. We also like have, um, like one of our core values is keep it simple. Um, and so like we, we like do our best not to waste time on anything. Um, so like any meeting that's longer than an hour, like we have a policy that's like, you have to label it a retreat. So we move quick too. Now, so you said you're full-time at Cadenzo. Are Troy and Andreas, are they also full-time at Cadenzo? Not yet. So Andreas is, Andreas is basically full-time and he's like part-time doing school, but he's, um, Andreas is a National Merit Scholar and got an incredible scholarship to OU um, that's a five-year scholarship. Wow. And so he's finishing up his second degree um, uh, right now at OU um, and will be done here in um, next month. So, and then he's coming to Tulsa and he'll be full-time on Cadenzo. Um, but his mother likes to make fun of us and say that um, he is full-time on Cadenzo and part-time on school. And... Troy is um, still a full-time, full-stack engineer for HubSpot, but um, is going to be making the transition this summer to full-time on Cadenzo. So, How about the market? I'm curious about the market. So you're focusing on smaller venues right now and, and artists and local artists trying to connect those, but where do you see Cadenzo going? Are you expanding to different parts of the market? And how big is that market? Our mission is, is bringing spaces to life. Um, and bringing spaces back to life after COVID. So, um, you know, we've all been in like any sort of scenario where like uh, someone walks up to the microphone, starts seeing the crowd erupts um, or the DJ drops a beat, you know, those moments that really like turn a space from just a group of people to like a space that's truly alive. Um, and that's ultimately what we feel we're doing is we're, we're building a tool that brings spaces to life. Um, and so right now that focus is really heavily on um, helping local music economies thrive post-COVID. Um, so starting there, um, you know, there's over 7 million local artists that are actively playing shows in the, in the United States alone. Um, and there are hundreds of thousands of spaces that either are or can and should be or want to be hosting live music, you know, once a week at minimum. So there are spaces everywhere if you think from a coffee shop to a brewery to uh something place that does define themselves as a venue to a museum like there there's an endless amount of spaces that um live music or you know other forms of entertainment can bring to life and do you know about how big that market is live music industry is around like a 30 billion dollar industry um so it's massive and the kind of like booking component of it is somewhere between like three to five billion. Okay. Your focus right now is uh, the booking side. And do, do you see yourself expanding to that bigger market? Yeah. We think there's like so many plays from, you know, building out tour automation tools for artists to, you know, once we build out like a suite of tools and serve local music economies, we can, we'll have a tool that will be really robust that we can sell to, you know, your bigger 
your bigger venues um, and potentially even like arenas or stadiums um, and big time artists. Um, we see this as a tool that like booking agents can use as a software platform that they can use to build a bigger you know business and suite of artists that they represent. Um, and then even like outside of booking, like there's um, you know so, there's so much that like this could lend to. And, you know, we have like lots of like crazy conjectures and whatnot, but like really our goal is like, let, like, we want to let the customers lead us to like what that, what that next thing is. And we want to be like careful about that because we know that there have been companies that have tried to do what we're doing mm-hmm. and too quickly tried to expand away from like solving the core problem and then kind of flopped because of it. So, um, we're, we're trying to like stay hyper-focused on booking because it's a massive market globally. I wasn't aware that other companies had, you know, worked on this problem in the past. Can you talk about some of those companies and why you think they ultimately failed? The the biggest example is Reverb Nation. It was like a artist could create like their profile and then could get booked that way. Um, but from from my conversations, it was like like Reverb Nation just like wasn't like they were trying to serve too much um, and trying to solve too many problems. And by doing that, they solved every problem they were solving really poorly instead of solving one problem really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was talking to um, someone based out of Tennessee and was kind of describing like what we were trying to do. And she was like, yes, finally, someone that's like actually solving what the real problem is. And she was like, I, I'm warning you, like, just stick to this problem and solve this problem because I've seen other companies try and do this. And then all of a sudden they're trying to solve every other problem and they lose all like kind of credibility with their clients. So we're definitely like focused on on solving this um, this booking component first. How about current competitors? Are there anyone else in the space that's trying to do what you're doing? Yeah, there are some companies um, that are trying to like kind of solve the problem just for artists. Like they're trying to like tour automation things like that for artists. Um, and then there's some that are trying to do like solving like a, like as a booking tool for venues. So like one that comes to mind, there's a company called Prism. They're, they're like building a logistics software tool for venues. Um, they're, they're more serving like more higher tier threshold venues than we are. We're really serving like the local small um, spots. There's a company called Side Door. They're based out of Canada. They're kind of similar to us, but they're more focused on like being able to turn your backyard or living room into a concert hall rather than focusing on spaces that already have live music or want to have live music. I see. I think you've mentioned like kind of where you want to go, but you're, you're staying focused right now, which makes a lot of sense. But let's look really far down the road. What is, you know, Cadenzo's exit strategy? Mm. For, for us, like, um, like the purpose of like bringing spaces to life, like what, like what would make us feel like we like did something successful with Cadenzo is if we can help like local music economies recover from COVID and we can challenge the starving artist mentality, um, say like, just cause you're a local artist doesn't mean that you, you know, can't like actually make a decent living off of like your, your talent and your gift of what you want to actually do. Um, and you don't have to work four jobs. If we can challenge that in any way, shape or form, like that will feel like success to us. In terms of an exit strategy, like we we definitely think probably an acquisition is going to make the most sense. Like it's a really acquisition heavy time. It's an acquisition heavy industry. But like we also, you know, want to keep in mind like who we're we're exiting to is going to be like important to us because 
you know, there are certain players in our industry that like local musicians and venues do not like uh, that, that selling to them would be like kind of against our, you know, core values of like why we created Cadenzo. Some like, like plays that I think are really cool, um, you know, I feel like an Airbnb play could be very cool because they're focused on like, lo- like experiences right now really heavily and are trying to build that component out um, on top of just the booking component that already makes sense for them. So Brian Chesky, if you're listening, keep your ears posted, uh, you know, three years from now. And, and we really admire their story of how they came to be um, what they are and, and their, their purpose of anyone can belong anywhere. Um, we feel like bringing spaces to life, our mission like really fits in, in line with, with what they're, what they're trying to do too. Oh, Brian Chesky's listening too. That'd be great. <laughs> so you're raising money through equity crowdfunding right now. Um, what milestones do you hope to hit with the the current raise that you're that you're doing? Yeah, big milestones are product designer full time, uh, one more um, engineer like full stack engineer um, full time, and then in terms of like actual traction points, like we want to a complete like a successful pilot of these four venues in Tulsa in the next month and a half, and then um, you know by the end of Q3 have somewhere between 30 to 50 venues that are like on board using the, the, the platform, um, as their like full-time booking tool. Um, so that looks like Tulsa, Oklahoma city, and potentially some like Northwest Arkansas or Dallas plays as well. We feel like that is, um, enough traction to justify raising, um, a seed round. Sure. And then I'm curious, there are multiple ways to raise money, right? You could have angel investors, you you had a VC, friends and family, and then there's also equity crowdfunding. And so what first drew you to this option and why did you decide to do it? Yeah, I didn't even know that equity crowdfunding was really a thing. The only sort of, sort of like platforms like this that I had seen, like especially when I was learning about like fundraising in college was like, um, you know, Kickstarter, which there's no like, not usually like an equity component with that. Sure. Um, and it's like also not really built for tech companies, but Caitlin and Caitlin, if you're listening, uh, from Wheeler We Funder team reached out cold, cold reached out on LinkedIn and was like, Hey, would love to connect with you and share what we're working on and hear what you're working on. So connected with her, had a great meeting. Um, and she was saying that like WeFunder is a great platform. Um, if you're interested in doing like a friends and family round, because it allows you to like, it gives you a tool to do that really easily and efficiently. Um, and they're like, if you're also interested in, you know, getting angel investors it's a great tool for that and then she was like and also there will be a lot of random people that you have no idea who they are who can also invest in your company and you can build super fans who can help sell your product and be excited about you yeah and who want to see you succeed um and so i was like pretty much sold from that first meeting um it was sounded like the perfect step for like what we needed um because we felt like we need a little bit more traction before um doing like a, a proper like vc raise and so this was like the perfect step for us to a like raise from friends and family, b raise from angels, and c like loop in super fans, um, and potentially some of our like future customers that like believe in what we're doing. Right, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I have one more question, and it's uh, around entrepreneurship. I mean, you study entrepreneurship. You, you you know you are an entrepreneur right now in the real world. And so, what do you think is more important? Is it more important to be courageous? Or intelligent, I would say for for entrepreneurs, it's it's more important to be courageous. Um, 
And it, for me, it goes back to that vulnerability piece. I'm like a massive fan of Brene Brown, um, and she talks about vulnerability. And now, if you want to be a courageous individual, if you want to be um, a creative person or want to have deep relationships, like it all comes back to being vulnerable. So if you're courageous, um, you can pretty much tackle anything and you can sell your story and then you can hire really intelligent people. And so that, that, that ultimately is what it is. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's scary and it's hard and it's some days are, are better than others. And, and some days just absolutely suck, but, um, it's kind of the will to keep going that, um, I think defines like great entrepreneurs and, you know, what I hope we can be um, at Cadenzo. This has been an episode of Seeking Startups. I'm your host, Maxim Davis, and thank you for listening to the whole show. Make sure to subscribe, leave a rating and a review, and share this episode. Once again, if you're interested in investing in this company, you can find a link to their fundraising page in the description below. Before I let you go, if you're a founder who's interested in getting highlighted on the show, email me at maxim at seekingstartups.com. Thank you. And until next time, keep investing in the future.